You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey coaches, it's Chrissy from Buzzing with Miss B, and I am so glad you're here with me to listen to episode 13, Building Content Knowledge and a Common Language. Today is all about how to help teachers improve their knowledge of the content they are teaching and to use that to support the common language they have with you. Um, So first, I'm going to start by sharing a conversation that I had with a teacher I was coaching. And, um, and then I'll talk a little bit about why this is so important because it's an incredibly crucial idea that I feel like a lot of coaches don't even realize is maybe their main problem. (laughs) So this is a conversation I recently had with a teacher I was working with. Um, my purpose was to support teachers in growing in an area of their choosing, which is great because teachers will be more invested because they have chosen the area that they would like to grow in, right? So I said, okay, Miss So-and-so, can you tell me about what it is that you would like to grow in? And she said, guided reading. I want to work on guided reading. And I said, excellent. Can you show me some of the resources that you're using to work on with guided reading? And she pulled out a textbook. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh, were they using a textbook for guided reading? Because that is not the best practice, right? Guided reading is at an instructional level for students and textbooks are written at grade level. So I was a little concerned about that idea. But... No, I I asked them to describe a lesson they'd done recently, and she described a whole group lesson in which all kids had access to the text. So every kid had their textbook out, and they were doing work with it together as a group, and they had a class discussion, and I realized she was talking about shared reading, but she didn't realize that's what she was talking about. So I defined it, and I explained it, and from there, I asked what text they would like to use. I said, can you show me, okay, what you're talking about is working on shared reading, and we can absolutely plan a lesson about shared reading using that practice to support your reader. So let's see what text you would like to use this next week so we can plan a great lesson. And she says, I want to use this story. And she opened up the textbook and I looked at the text she was showing me, and it was not a story because a story is fiction. It was an informational text. So we had two problems. One was content knowledge, which is informational versus fiction, right? That's a big difference. And if we're telling kids that everything is a story, that is not correct information. Two is a pedagogical vocabulary problem, shared reading versus guided reading, which are two very different practices that serve very different purposes. And I was there to help with whatever they wanted, but we couldn't even really narrow down what that was. So I'd already provided workshops three times where I had clarified these exact terms and and models of instruction, and it didn't impact the teaching in this room. Many classrooms had implemented strategies, but not all classrooms, even though we sat in the room and modeled the lessons with teachers and we, we shared our learning and we summarized and we reflected and we read and we did all the things that we do during PD. But the impact in that classroom did not happen. So why does that happen? We figure everybody has had the same educational experiences that we have had as coaches. So when I started teaching, I was totally clueless about teaching multiplication as a concept, okay? I could teach it in the way that I had been taught, which was a process, 
you do this, you do that, you do this, bam, you've got an answer. Who knows if it makes any sense because you have no sense of what you're doing. (laughs) So I didn't know how to teach kids multiplication in a conceptual way. And I was told you should be using manipulatives, but I had no clue how to use manipulatives to represent double by double digit multiplication beyond a simple array of a small, you know, small amount, like five by seven, I, I couldn't do it. I needed a workshop to teach me how to do it, right? I needed somebody who could show me how to do those things. And so then that was one of the reasons that we have such different backgrounds is we, we expect that everybody has had the same experience as we have had because I knew what conceptual instruction was because I had had the training in that area. Another reason is that we get used to working alongside people who speak our language. So if you're from a team of teachers who's comfortable with introducing reading strategies, for example, using a reader's workshop framework, you kind of feel like everybody in the world does that. And that's a pretty standard practice. And then you go work with another school and another group of teachers and you're like, oh my gosh, this is completely, this is a completely different approach. And that best practice that we were using, I thought was pretty much across the board, but I'm not seeing it play out in other places. So we think we have a common language and a common set of experiences, but we don't. So here's what happened when I became a coach. (laughs) We had zero common language. Me and my new school were speaking two different languages, and it was really stressful. We would try to plan together, and we were all over the place. Um, I would try to work in classrooms, and we couldn't even accurately describe what we were talking about and what we were seeing because we had such different frames of reference from a pedagogical standpoint. So how do you work with teachers who have no common language with you, right? That's, that can be really difficult. I mean, yes, of course, you focus on describing what you see. But when you're referring to making strides towards best practices or making adjustments towards best practice, and they don't have that frame of reference, that is very difficult. So here are a few things that you can do to build a common language and an understanding of best practices with your own teachers, okay? And here's, I'm gonna share them really specifically and so you're gonna wanna remember these because I do believe that they are gonna help make an impact on a problem you might not have even realized you were having. (laughs) So this is the first tip that I have. The first way that you can build a common language and an understanding of best practices is obviously modeling. Teachers have to experience things in their classrooms. They need to see you clarify learning to students because it doesn't make sense to the teachers out of context. They can't envision it. So for example, once I was in a classroom where a teacher was uncertain about teaching context clues, okay? The kids were not using context clues, they kept telling me. And they kept telling the students, use your context clues. But when they tried, the kids didn't know what to do. I could perceive that they didn't know what to do. They perceived that the kids were not following directions, right? So context clues is a term that many teachers use without really understanding what it means. It means little clues that are in the context the word is in or clues around the word in the sentence or paragraphs around the word. Those are the clues. But just knowing that that's what context clues means isn't enough either, right? We have to know how to use them to help us as readers. So I sat down with a student and I said, we're going to approach this word in two steps. First, we're going to look for clues within the word. Between you and me, that's morphology, right? Prefixes, suffixes, root words, okay? Then I said, we're going to look for clues around the word, context clues. And then we're going to visualize the context and make a mental image. When the teacher saw me do this, they understood what context clues were, which are words around the unknown word that help you figure out the meaning. And they understood how to help kids use them to make meaning out of that word. They'd just never seen it presented that way before. And if I sat in a room and I told her, well, this is what you can do with kids 
she would have said, okay, okay. And then she would have gone back in the classroom and said, use your context clues. Because <laughs> that's what she'd been doing for years. But it was not being effective. They have to see you interact with kids in order to make meaning out of what you're talking about. Second tip, a bank of short videos. This one is a really great idea, especially when you are onboarding somebody new, okay? Um, it can be almost impossible to model something in everyone's room. One way that you can get around this is you can model in one classroom and record it and then build a bank of short videos where you model the topic or lesson type in action. And then you organize them by topic. So for example, if you are doing a round of, of coaching in someone's classroom and you're really focusing on, well, my example before, shared reading, you can say, okay, can I record a couple of these lessons? Because I'd really like to build a bank of shared reading lessons for teachers so they can access some, some uh, lessons that might give them ideas on how to do this. And the teacher says, yes, then great. So you record the lessons and then you use, you know, Dropbox or Google Drive or something like that to organize a bank of videos that are all about shared reading. And they can see different grade levels. They can see you teaching different topics or uh, strategies. And that way they can access those videos whenever they want them. So whenever they're unsure of what something looks like, they can hunt through your videos and they can be independent in their learning. And a bonus is you can also use them during workshops or PLC to illustrate what something looks like in action. So during your workshop or your PLC, if you're working on a specific strategy or a specific method, you can show a video of you modeling that and that way they can see how you interact with real kids because that's where the gold is, right? Okay, third tip. Teachers love to see each other teach. They love it. They love to visit other classrooms. I mean, think about it whenever you were in the classroom and you were teaching, it's kind of like you're all alone. Like you do your lesson, you're sort of in isolation. Uh, you kind of think you're doing the same thing everybody else is doing, but who knows because you've never seen it. <laughs> so if we can give opportunities for teachers to visit other teachers, oh my gosh, it makes such an impact on their teaching. And they are so willing to learn from each other, sometimes more willing than they are to learn from you. <laughs> honestly. So what you need to do is find a teacher who has excellent content knowledge and who can explain it clearly to their kids. Someone who is teaching uh, clearly and concisely and purposefully. And you set up coverage for the teacher who wants to visit and you create a schedule, you know, a date and time that they're going to go visit this other classroom teacher. Coverage might look like an extra lesson in the library or, you know, if you can get somebody, um, sometimes my principal would, would allow us to have people cover classrooms like from the office, um, you know, support staff members if they had some flexibility in their schedules because she knew it was so important for teachers to visit other teachers in their classrooms. So it can't hurt to ask, right? So... Then you can give them a note taker that helps them record notes and they, you can have a really purposeful conversation and you, you've got somebody doing the work for you basically because they are showing this teacher what it looks like in the classroom without you having to butt into somebody's room and do something that isn't really maybe normally what the kids would be doing. So it's very authentic. It's very purposeful. So I totally recommend teachers seeing each other teach to build that common language across your grade levels. Okay, I just have to drop in really quickly here to share something with you that could completely change the way you do your coaching work. It can make you a happy, confident coach who has a community to turn to when you need support and ideas. It is the Coffee and Coaching Membership. You just need to visit coffeeandcoachingmembership.com and you will see all the benefits that this site has for you. I cannot recommend it enough. It's exactly what I needed as a coach. 
than on a campus. Nicole S. Turner of Simply Coaching and Teaching and I have created a bank of instructional coaching videos, an exclusive Facebook group, and special resources just for our members, including the Reflective Coaching Journal. That tells you what to focus on every month and gives you five steps on how to get it done. Plus, there are monthly challenges in the group that are motivating and fun, and we've got prizes. You want to check it out? Register for our live webinar this month. Okay, tip number four, word sorts. I am a huge fan of word sorts. If you've been following me on Instagram for any length of time, you know that I prepare word sorts almost any time I do a workshop. And that's because they are hands-on. They're a great way for people to dialogue during workshops or PLC. You can sort characteristics into categories such as shared reading or guided reading. You can do... um, you can do different practices and how they're supportive of students and have teachers match them up. You can do card matches. Anything that can fit on a card, you can use to build your common language. So this is how it works. For example, let's say that I want teachers to understand more about reading strategies. So I have different strategies on one set of cards, and then I have the explanation of the strategies on another set. And then on the last set of cards, I have the reason that it is helpful for readers or how readers use that strategy to help themselves comprehend. So then they pull these strategies, they look at all these different cards, and then they identify the strategy, the explanation, and how it helps readers, and they pull those together. And teachers have to actually communicate with each other and just justify and sort of defend their thinking. And because it is so um, community-based, it's a great way to build that common language. They have to make a decision. You know, you they, it'll bring up a lot of misunderstandings and you can clear the, clarify the learning because they'll say, does this go here or does it go here? Because I think it can go in both places and you'll see what they think. So you can use, actually in my store, I have some card sorts and card matches in my store for balanced literacy, reading, writing, and word study. So you can grab them for a really good price and they're perfect for PLC or professional development. They're already ready for you. They're based on best practices. So I totally recommend that you grab them because they are a fun way to engage teachers in conversation about important ideas. Tip number five, pass the paper. So whenever... Um, you use a pass the paper. The idea is you can use it in two different ways. You can either use it to assess background knowledge and see what teachers already know, or you can use it to sort of recap learning at the end of a learning experience, whether that's a PLC or a workshop. So here's what it looks like. On different pieces of paper at a table, you have different topics written on each piece of paper. So if I have four pieces of paper because I have four people at a table, then on each page, I have one different topic. So I've got, let's say I In my recent example, I had word study, shared reading, uh, read aloud, and independent reading. Those were four components we were really working on with this campus. So then each person starts out with a different page. So if I'm person one, maybe I start out with word study, person two starts out with shared reading, person three starts out with read aloud, etc. I set the timer for, I only did uh, two minutes with teachers because they tend to write quickly. You can actually use this with kids as well and you give them a longer time. But with teachers, I did two minutes and they just write everything they know about that topic on that paper. And then at the end, whenever the timer goes off, they rotate it, you know, counterclockwise and they get the next paper and then they can read. You start the timer and they read what was already on there and then they can add their own thinking to it. And then again, timer goes off, they pass the paper and then they get the next paper. They read what's already on there and they add their own thinking. So by the time it's made a whole rotation around the table, you can kind of see what everybody thinks about that specific topic. 
So it's really helpful because it'll show misunderstandings and it'll give you an opportunity to have a clarification conversation. So this is how you do that. You lay them out in front of the four people and you say, do you notice anything? What stands out to you? And recently I had a teacher look across them and say, you know what? I'm noticing here, this says that um, that a read aloud you use in this way. And this statement says that you use it in this way. And this statement says you use it in this way. All three things true or is some one of them a little bit off? And then we could have a conversation to clarify everybody's thinking and make sure everybody has the same vision for what that practice looks like. So I really recommend Pass the Paper. It's fun. Um, it's quick. And it really shows you a lot about what teachers already know. Okay, here's tip number six. And this is a huge one, so I'm super glad that you stuck it out because it's it can change your PLCs. This is the 10-minute content builder, okay? Let's say you've got a planning PLC scheduled to plan for a unit on folktales, for example. And at the beginning of your PLC, you come together and it is clear that no one has any clue what they're talking about. <laughs> It happens. It happens sometimes that we're sitting in a room with teachers and we're like, uh-oh, okay, we all have a completely different idea of what we're talking about here. We all have a different understanding of this content. So you have to do some content building at the beginning of that planning PLC to make sure that everybody starts out with accurate information to plan from. So at the beginning of your PLC or your collaborative planning, you are going to share four things to know about that content area. So in my store, I actually have these guides because I really believe they're so important. Um, and I have one set on reading genres that includes fiction, informational text, argumentative, digital text, fables, legends, drama, poetry, 17 different sheets that you can use to plan with teachers. But you can make them yourself if you need to, because the idea is you want to clarify four pieces of information so that teachers know the essential pieces to know about that, that genre or that strategy or that skill that you're really focusing on. So for example, in a folktale, it's really important to know that it's an oral tradition, right? These folktales have been handed down orally and that there are many different subcategories under folktales. Folktales kind of an umbrella term and underneath it we have legends and myths and uh, fables and, and uh, trickster tales and tall tales. All these different tales are considered folktales and folktales are the umbrella. So that can be new information to people. You can want to include some information about author's purpose and why an author would write that. Many folktales were written to teach a, le a lesson or a moral. They, a lot of them, like fairy tales, for example, were written to teach children lessons by terrifying them into <laughs> doing the right thing. <laughs> and I was making finger quotes there. I know you couldn't see it. So this is how you can use a guide that has four things to know about the topic you're about to study. There are two different ways. One of them is you can give them a purpose for reading and say, highlight any new information or put a check next to what you know, and then a star next to anything that's new, okay? That's like an annotative way to approach these guides. Another way that you can use them is you can hand out a copy of the guide to each person, but each person has a different purpose. So I'm gonna read to learn about the first tip, you're gonna read to learn about the second piece of information, so-and-so is gonna learn the third one, and so-and-so is gonna learn the fourth one. A different person might look into vocabulary, a different person might read the common misconceptions. We each read and then we take turns going around the table, sharing a little bit about what we read so that we can really reinforce that information with ourselves and we can also collaborate to build our understanding about the topic. 
Okay. Um, either way, you want to have that short discussion at the end and uh, make sure that people are walking away with valid, accurate information and that we're challenging some of the misconceptions that are out there because I know I've seen a lot of misconceptions in classrooms about fiction being fake and nonfiction being real. You know, I really have an issue with that. Um, I remember in math, there was a common misconception that people, teachers in third grade would say, well, you know, in third grade, the uh, the big number always goes on the bottom in fractions. And it's like, oh, we really don't want to tell kids things like that because they are not really accurate forever. It's there's no need to teach them that, teach them what these things represent. And so that's a common misconception that you would want to dispel as you are working with teachers. If they are working from that frame of reference, then they are providing inaccurate information to kids and we are not making sure that we're using best practices and accurate um, facts to teach our students, which is, I mean, that's just the basics, right? So the 10 minute content builder is a really great way to make sure everybody has access to the information. And because you're doing it together, you know they've got the time to read it because you're all sitting there with them, you know, reading this document. So let me just review what the six tips that I gave you today were. Um, the first one was to model in the classroom and of course think aloud and show the teacher why you're doing what you're doing so they can have a frame of reference for what that strategy, skill, or content looks like. The second one is a bank of short videos that you share um, using some sort of technology, probably Google Drive or Google Classroom, that teachers have access to and they can look into it whenever they want to learn more about something specific. The third is have teachers model for other teachers. Teachers love to see each other teach, so find opportunities for them to do that. The fourth one is using card sorts or word sorts so that teachers can categorize and group information and make meaning with each other and justify their thinking. The fifth one is to pass the paper. It's a great way to summarize their knowledge and then you can use it to clarify misconceptions. And then the sixth one was the 10 minute content builder that you use at the beginning of PLC. And I've got a sample of that for you in the show notes. So I really think that you're going to want to go to the show notes at buzzingwithmissb.com because you can check out um, that free download and you'll give you an idea of what those can look like if you were going to create them yourself. Or you can also just grab them in the store because they're good to go. I've got another set about reading comprehension strategies and then I'm working on some sets about reading skills for literary texts and, and uh, informational texts. So those should be up soon. So here's what I really want you to take away from today's episode. I want you to take a hard look at your work with teachers and ask yourself, do I have a common language with my teachers? Do they really understand what I mean when I say things like think aloud or generate ideas for writing? If they can't explain it to another person or do it in their classrooms, they have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so here are your next steps to make sure that we get this work integrated into your coaching. First, pay attention to the conversations you have with teachers to identify some areas that you might need to grow a common language. And then to make a plan and choose one method out of the six that I shared today to start using this week so that you can build a common language and really make sure that you and your teachers understand each other and you're building best practices and accurate information for students. Thanks so much for listening in today, coaches. I hope you got a lot out of it, this episode. I really enjoyed making it because I believe this is such an important topic. Um, and I will see you next week whenever we talk about aligning instructional strategies, which is a similar idea, but we're looking more for alignment here and we're gonna talk about why that's even important. So stay tuned and I'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. 
If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. Happy coaching.